Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm really excited to ha- introduce our guest, Donovan Bennett, who writes for Sportsnet and hosts the show Going Deep on how the sports we love intersect with health, fashion, race, religion, gender, politics, and, and everything in between. And I first wanted to say a little bit that I really admire your pod, uh, your show, sorry, just because it's something I try to emulate a little bit in mind. So thanks so much for taking the time and coming on. No, that's high praise. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to start a little bit about kind of what drew you to a career in sports journalism and writing. That I wasn't talented enough to play on the field, so I figured I could stay as close to it as possible. I was a university athlete, played football in Canada at Western, and my whole time throughout my childhood playing different sports, uh, when I wasn't playing sports, I was watching them. And when I wasn't uh, emulating the athletes on the court or the field, you know, I was emulating the broadcasters. And so I always knew that would be you know, my plan B, so to speak. And ever since I was a kid, you know, every uh, paper that I had to write or project that I had to do, I would work a sports angle into it somehow. It was just the only thing that really uh, got me excited and that I was passionate about. I, my mom would always say, you know, if you, you know, memorize your math uh, formulas as well as you did uh, sports stats, you'd, you'd be getting a lot better grades. And I was like, well, if they were as interesting, then I'm sure I would. And I remember in economics class in high school, uh, I had to do a presentation and it was on the Larry Bird exemption of the NBA CBA. Like, so that's kind of where I was thinking in grade 11 and 12. So it was just a natural fit for me coming out of school that when I wasn't um, going to be playing professionally because at the time the market for five, nine and three quarter, 170 pound Canadian tailback was not, huge in professional football that I would stay close to um, close to sports and and cover it. And so lucky I was able to exit out of playing, uh, but still use my acumen in terms of what I learned about football and about sports in general and still be a part of a team and still compete. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a nice, uh, it was a nice, uh, parachute to have when the, the shock of no longer being an athlete hit. And and what was that kind of transition like? And and maybe detail to the listener a little bit how kind of you you made that transition and are where you are now at at Sportsnet. So, and I, as I said, I consume sports all the time, and you know, in my university house the NFL network logo was like burned into the TV because it was on so often. And we'd be watching, like we would literally watch the entire NFL combine, like every wow. drill, uh, you know, we were into it um, as a football house. And so, you know, mistakenly, I assumed that the process in Canada, is the same as the process in the NFL, where if you're looking at draft prospects, people are on campus, you know, looking at what they're doing in terms of how, what are the practice habits? People are like hailing their cars, seeing what they're like in their social life. And I was like, this is not happening for me in the CFL. So evidently, I don't, there is no pro career there. Truth of the matter is, in the CFL, 
our season is the same time as their season. Their staffs are smaller. So during the season, their focus is the season. And they don't get to the draft up until after the season. So I didn't – once our season ended, I thought, okay, well, there's no interest from a CFL perspective. I'll focus all of my energy and attention on broadcasting and, and getting a job there. And then the draft comes around and teams want to work me out and, you know, bring me in for interviews. They're like, oh, no, like I, I've <laughs> actually punted this this football and I've been so focused on – putting all that energy into making a career otherwise. So I, I had a couple of workouts and um, like a, a camp invite as I wasn't drafted. And I kind of at that time said, I'm not really prepared to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm probably, if I'm being honest, ego aside, probably being looked at as like a training camp tackle dummy and not mm-hmm. like a true opportunity. I do have an in at the Sports Television Network. And I don't want to start my career to send the message of, yeah, he's half in, but there's a bunch of injuries for, like, right up back on special teams in yeah. in July. He can be on the first plane to Winnipeg or Regina or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to, to show my first employer I'm, like, about this life. I'm really serious, and I take the craft seriously. So... You know, I guess I'll go backward. Our season ends. We lose. Um, I had uh, interned at the score, and I was trying to get internships through the normal channel. Wasn't getting any luck. Everyone was saying to me, you need more experience. I'm like, well, how do I get experience without you giving me experience? It's a double-edged mm-hmm. sword. Reach out to Dwayne Ford, who worked at the score at the time, hosted a show called CFL Snap, and was the play-by-play person for the university sports that they covered. Now, obviously, doing a great job uh, with, with the CFL and TSN. He was a Western alum, Western football alum, mm. Western running back from Toronto. And aside from the fact that he is, uh, you know, 100 pounds heavier than me, I was like, okay, there's some, there's, there's something here. Like, you know, maybe he'll have an affinity for me. Picked his brain about the industry, got his contact from our coaches and you know, some of our alumni people. And essentially after that, I said, listen, man, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to stalk you. Like, I need an internship. You have a show. Can you help me? Like, you don't want those problems. So you just help me get in the door. And so he sends, like, an email. And the next thing you know, I'm interning on the score. Do that throughout the summer. Would go back throughout the school year just so that they would remember my name and face. And when I went to Western for my last year, I said, listen, I'm fully planning on winning the Vanier Cup. But in the event that we lose early, I'm happy to help with your playoff coverage. And that was the first year the score had the Vanier Cup right. So it was a big deal for them. It was like their Super Bowl. And they were like, yeah, sure, we can use the help. And I'm thinking, you know, coming off the field, like you see in the pros, someone gets knocked out there in the studio doing analysis because uh, they they played against the team still playing, so on and so forth. Not what happened. I was like rolling cables. I was uh, on the phone telling them where the ball was spotted. And so like the truck yeah. in Toronto could like put the virtual first down line at the right place. These are the types of jobs that I got, but I was just happy to be around and learn. And so they, the venue was in Saskatchewan. I drove from across Ontario, London to Ottawa to help out for the semis. 
the national semis nationals are in vancouver or uh, uh, uh regina sorry um and i say hey listen i can help out in saskatchewan and the head uh like exec producer on the games uh, was like really <laughs> and even in my head like i'm having this out-of-body experience where i'm like looking at myself like dude really and i'm like yeah you know got money saved up for a spring break trip i could apply it to that and like let's do it they're like listen well, we can't pay you the media hotel's full we can't put you up uh but here's where we're staying here's where we're going to be if you can get yourself there get close we'll use the help so wow. got some money uh a little help from my parents and used the money i'd saved for a spring break trip flew to saskatoon with minus everything it was like minus 26 like a record how cold it was that week Got in myself a hotel close, and I I just did whatever they asked, and I was learning the business, uh, like you know, firsthand from people who were really good at the time and would go on to do great things. So on that broadcast, if Sarah Lesky wow went on obviously to work for TSN, you had uh, Tim doing the play by play, Dwayne Ford doing the color, you had uh, Sid Sixero. And James Sabalski and Adnan Verk uh, doing sidelines. Uh, you had Cabby doing, um, you know, hits and features throughout. And that's just on air. N- not to mention like all the really talented directors, producers, executives that would go on to do great mm-hmm. things. Don Landis, who the director of that game, is you know m- one of the greatest that we have in our country, and she directs things for CTV like the Royal Wedding and <laughs> the MMVA. So this wow. is the type of talent. That we had at the score, like the score was the Montreal Expos of sports broadcasting, where they produced all this talent for the rest of the industry. So, long story short, is I learned like I got a better education that week than I got the four years uh, mm-hmm. in school. But on the flip side, they saw me and saw me work and how serious I took the crap, and that I was really um, interested in learning and and it that gave me a leg up from everyone else who was coming out of my uh, university class in terms of getting a broadcasting role. Started at the score, again, terrible role in post captioning. Um, you know, they had a software where I would, you know, re-speak everything that I heard on the TV. And it was like wow. Siri before Siri, where the computer program would spit it out and I'd put in the punctuation and speakers and whatnot. It was a terrible job. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But got me in the building, start helping out, you know, doing things part-time that builds my career. And it actually, you know, I got to watch what was on the network. I could understand, like, this is why this content works. This is why this content doesn't work. If I was doing this, this is what I would do differently. It had me speaking and saying things that people on air were saying. And so I was learning about um, communicating and putting, you know, sentences together that sound natural and organic, but are also informative and that are easy to follow. So, again, you know, I, I just tried to take any opportunity and, you know, make lemonade out of the lemon that I was given. Um, and so I've continued to stack those opportunities um, and, you know, uh, seen where they've got me. And uh, it's like, how many years later? It's like 15 years later. Wow. Um, and yeah, my, my past still works and I still employed. So, so far, so good. I guess I wanted to go off that a little bit. And and when you were coming up at that time, how did you carve a role? Because you, you don't just 
in, in the work you've done, just stick to sports and, and really talk about the broader issues, especially as you in your show going deep. So how did you carve that out in the industry to, to find that role? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I say to aspiring broadcasters, journalists, people in, in the workforce in general is the secret thought is figuring out what is unique about you what your intrinsic advantage is. So we're all snowflakes, right? God created us all uniquely. We all have different skill sets, sensibilities, past experiences. So the real key is figuring out what that is, identifying it, Mm. figuring out how you can leverage it to your benefit, lean into it, all the while working on your weaknesses so that they become strengths. And so for me, you know, early on, that was the fact that I was a former university football player it'll change throughout your career and it has changed for me so the first way i get on air is talking about university football yeah. and not just broadcasting reporting you know i the segment i had was um <laughs> uh in the trenches with donovan bennett and so i was like the tony saragusa like person i was on the sidelines but breaking down the x's and o's hmm. what i'm seeing the adjustments you know that type of thing because again i just come off the field yeah. I didn't have the reporter reps of how do you cultivate a story? How do you, you know, report on injuries, that type of thing. I would learn those over time by being down there. Those are the people who've done it at a high level. But I could bring to the table my, my football acumen, you know. So so that's one way early. And then you figure out what that is. Um, you know, I said, hey, we don't do any features. Uh, there's a change in the producer for these games. And I said, we don't do any features. Like, I can do these feature interviews. Yeah. And they're like, I don't see why not. Sure. So I start doing feature interviews at halftime. It's something that didn't exist and now it does. Uh, then I'm doing feature interviews with university students. They're, they're no different than the NCAA students. So I started doing NCAA feature interviews for hmm. our March Madness uh, coverage because we got March Madness, right? That was a big deal for us as well, trying to leverage that. Um, you know, one of the things I did early was um, I got reps as a producer. Uh, writing scripts for for people and and producing and every you know week I would do a little bit more to help the producers to the point where I was producing my own pieces. The reason I stopped doing closed captioning is because the host started complaining. And they're like, "Can we just hire this guy full time as a producer? I don't want to go into uh, a voice booth and whisper to ask him questions about a script because he is voicing you know for closed captioning." So I you know then get part time reps as a producer. I'm producing so many things part-time that uh, I'm running out of people to put in my segments that I start putting myself in the segments and I start hosting them. Mm. So there's one trip I went to, um, uh, one trip I went to Syracuse for an NCAA story. Like the last stop on our campus tour, a bunch of places, the producer was supposed to go was sick and under the weather, had to drive Syracuse in a snowstorm. The executive said, Hey, Donovan, you want to go instead of him. This mm. is what we're looking to execute. I'm like, great. Go there. Get the two stories we're supposed to execute. Talking to the PR person. One of the players we're supposed to talk to was sick. He felt really bad. So if you're make good, can I give you some other players? I'm like, yeah, sure. Can I get an extra one? You know, as a make good. So I've, I've secured the interviews that we need. Now I get this bonus one. I throw myself into the bonus one as the host. Bring it back. Say, hey, listen. I got the two we were supposed to get. I also got this third one. Take it or leave it. I'm in it. I'm the host. 
do you want it? No, they're like, yeah, sure, it's extra content. So now I'm, you know, one of the people with Glenn Sheeler and Sid Sixero that are the faces wow. of these NCAA features. Fast forward to the next year when they're breaking down the schedule of who is going to go where, they have me doing some of them because like, oh man, like he can go, he can produce it and he can host it. Yeah. So we've actually saved the, the plane ticket, we saved the hotel. Donovan, these are yours, you know, go have fun. So it's using yeah. your experiences, what you can bring to the table as as a way to get yourself further opportunities. You know, one other thing I did at the score is I pitched the Black History Month um, uh, feature. So we, had, we didn't do anything for Black History Month. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's a like interesting concept. You know, go do one, see how it does. I did four, one for every week. Mm-hmm. They ended up being nominated for a Gemini oh, uh, nice. at the time, you know, Canadian Trina Warp. So now it's like we've got accolades and praise for it. Okay, well, now this is part of what we do. Mm-hmm. We're known for it. And everyone likes to feel good about things. And so moving forward, that's the big thing. And I, I'm now heading up that content and running it. So you, you're using what nat- comes natural to you to um, to make sure that you've got uh, uh, some stuff to work on that you really like and that stuff to work on that you're going to excel at because it's natural to you. And so to, to answer your original question, you know, I love sports, but I love sports because it allows us to have these other bigger, broader conversations. And quite frankly, I'm interested in a lot of things. And so if I can use sports as a uh, as a reason to talk about all those things, then that puts me in an even better position. I, I just wanted to go back quickly about uh, you mentioned, like making those pieces for Black History Month. And, and as what as a person of color, what was it like to kind of kind of bring those stories to light was there pushback and and what's your experience like been in the industry as a person of color yeah so i mean i think listen when we're talking about doing something different and when you're talking about certainly race there's always going to be pushback i think the thing that you have to think about when going into doing those stories is you're not going to please everyone right so you, you have to understand it's part of the rules of engagement off the top and you have to like understand your why why are you doing it why is it important what can you do to further the conversation um and, and maybe what can you do to show some representation for audiences who don't necessarily see themselves in the content all the time to add a level of awareness but also for me to add some entertainment i think often you know if we use black history month content as an example a lot of it is very like biographical yeah, kind of like you're taking your medicine, you're reading encyclopedia, and for me, like you know, Black history is made every day, all the time, yeah. right? Like LeBron James is a living Black historical figure. Serena Williams, the same thing. So you know, having conversations in ways that are certainly informative but still entertaining. But at the end of the day, that's our job. Is um, is important, and so you know, I try to approach these types of you know content opportunities not necessarily as like a history lesson um you know i i tried to approach them as you know if you remember when you were in school in high school you know there would be a play yeah. you know, every semester or every term and those plays often you might learn something from it you might get something from it it might be historical but it's entertaining right it, it, if i was a teacher and i was trying to teach um, you know, British history, and I could read from a 
book or I could get a Netflix subscription and make my class watch The Crown, right? Yeah. Two different ways. Um, I, you know, I, and so that's the way I approach it. And then ultimately, when you're making content that's entertaining, which by definition is our job, if the subject matter just happens to reflect um, discussions that are really important, albeit discussions about a equity-deserving group, Black History Month, Asian Heritage Month, National Indigenous Peoples Day, Pride, International Women's Day, uh, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, et cetera, et cetera, then, um, you know, that's a win-win in, in my aspect. So, so I've tried to not make it too big of a thing. Just think about this is an opportunity to connect with the audience and entertain. We're just making sure that we're checking all the boxes so that we're doing that in terms of stories that connect with all Canadians, not just, um, you know, Canadians that we historically have connected with. Yeah. Um, I wanted to to go a little bit to to transition a little bit to some of the sports that I mean, you listening to your show, I, I know, you know, basically everything about a lot of different sports, but I want to go to the CFL. And obviously, you mentioned you played. Um, there's a lot of discussion in that kind of zone about like where like where do you see the state of the CFL right now? Is it dying? There's been articles about that. And I just want to hear your two cents. Yeah. So I, I I think I don't think the CFL is dying, certainly. I think it's in a transitional phase. It's having a bit of a metamorphosis. And I think change is always difficult for both sides. It so the the CFL is somewhat tough one it's been around for over 100 years it has uh, persevered through you know multiple commissioners multiple prime ministers you know multiple uh sensibilities in terms of our our country multiple recessions in our country so uh, you know aside from covid and wartime great cup has been handed out in the end of november uh, longer than anyone walking this yeah. earth uh, has been alive. So I, I, I always, I always pause when people say, "Oh, this is gonna be the death of the CFL." Like, CFL has been on life support many times, and it's still kicking. So there's that. I also think that, you know, most of our media comes from Southern Ontario, and the relationship with the CFL in Southern Ontario, specifically in Toronto is different than it is in many areas of the country, right? You could take a 50-minute drive from Toronto to Hamilton. I'm currently situated somewhat in the middle in Mississauga. And if you polled an average person in those cities and asked them about the CFL, their experience with it is appreciably different, right? You go to Hamilton and in and around the stadium, you know that this is a CFL city on a game day. People are, you know, selling spots on their lawn for for parking, right? In and around the stadium at BMO on a CFL game day, you might know that there's a CFL game because, like, there's less valet parking at Hotel X, right? Like that's yeah. that's that just to frame how different the markets are the CFL is and and that is within you know a, a pretty close vicinity so it's appreciably different in uh Saskatchewan than it is in Vancouver than it is in Montreal because our country 
is is somewhat different. But I, I do think that with most sports in 2023, their lifeline is not being local or regional and relevant there. You have to be relevant in the global space. You have to be relevant in the internet age, in the digital space. And so I feel like I have an appreciation of what's going on in the NBA with Kevin Durant beefing with Joel Embiid yes. because I see it play out yeah. on my tablet, on my phone, on my computer. That's where the CFL conversation needs to go for it to continue to grow. It can't just be people tailgating in uh, Regina or people flying out to touchdown Atlantic and having a great time. The touch points can't just be personal because in stadium outside of BMO, it's a great atmosphere. Yeah. Even, you know, in, in Ottawa, when their team has been good, it's a great, great atmosphere. Um, but you have to transfer that energy in 2023 to the online arena so that we're constantly talking about it, it's trending you know, we're following the players on social media because more and more of our ad revenue is going to the digital space. Uh, so I think that's where the conversation goes next. Can the CFL tap into the conversations happening in those platforms? Music, fashion, culture, you know, what fits are players wearing walking into, you know, the stadium? Can the players be these little micro-influencers where brands want to do deals with them based off of, their social following. Well, in order to do that, we have to build that social conversation, not just the, the league or the teams with the players. So I, I, I do think um, it, it, sometimes you got to, when you're making a pivot, you know, almost go backwards to propel you forward. And I think that's the area the CFL is in now. I, I will say this, though. I, I am a believer that the, you can love all types of football at the same time. So much of the conversation is binary. Well, the NFL is better than the CFL. Well, college football, the, the players at Power 5 schools are, are better than they are in the CFL, which is not true. Um, I, I think you can, love, you can just love football. I love to watch U sports. I love to watch CFL. I love to watch mm. NCAA. I love to watch NFL. Um, it, I don't care about the amount of downs. If uh, something is on the line, I'm willing to watch great football. So, I think, you know, if we can continue to market the game in the in the social and online digital space, I think the CFL will be around for another 100 years for sure. Uh, I wanted to quickly transition to the NFL off that. Um, I, I first I really liked your piece on DeMar Hamlin and 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 uh, and I just thought um, I want to ask you quickly just a little bit about. Like you mentioned in your article, how fans are desensitized to injuries and, and the NFL has poor um, pensions. And and I really like the line you also said um, was that football is a kid's game with adult consequences. What else can be done in your mind to make the NFL and, and football, not just the NFL, more safe for players? Is there anything that can be done? I mean, guaranteed contracts would be one, right? You know. I think people were surprised to realize, and I still think many of them didn't realize, that if forget about performance, uh, we got to pay this roster bonus by this time. We're going to cut this player and get him off our cap, and you know, manage our dead money, so on and so forth. Forget about that conversation, right? 
just the humane side of you are loyal to us based off of this piece of paper, but we're not loyal to you, even though you're giving up your body. Forget about that. I think people were surprised to realize that if the Buffalo Bills put Mar Hamlin on IR, he was not guaranteed yeah. the rest of his contract. Like, forget about like he's cut because he can't perform. Like, he can't perform because he's hurt to yeah. the point where he can't play the year. You don't get your money. And the NFL came out and said, we're going to make sure he got his money, which I almost feel like is telling on themselves. Like, you are, you are acknowledging the fact that we should take care of players if they're so hurt that they can't compete. Yeah. A couple of reasons. One, you can't ask players whether it's head injuries or injuries at all to self-report and be honest and take care of themselves if at the same time you're like, yeah, but if you do that, we're going to take money out of your pocket. Yeah, exactly. So, right, humans are motivated by what they're incentivized by. And so that's one. But two, you've now created this huge outlier. Or wait, if you have to cancel a game because of my injury and I can't come back, you'll take care of me. But if you don't and I'm carted off and I do the thumbs up thing and everyone just claps and goes back to, you know, screaming defense, defense, then I don't get the money. So thought experiment, Russell Gage. Very end of the Cowboys, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks playoff game. Vicious yeah. hit, carted off the field. Uh, you know, players taking a knee, praying for him. Does anyone know how Russell Gage is doing? He's not being put on IR because the season is over. But do we know what his return to play is going to look like? Is he going to be able to work out throughout the offseason? Is he going to be able to make his physical in training camp and get that report bonus. We have no idea. It's not even part of our lexicon. Like it's not part of the conversation. As soon as he was off the field, we stopped thinking about Russell Gage. And as soon as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were off our television, we stopped thinking about them more broadly. So that's what I mean in terms of the humanity of the conversation that we have around uh, football players. And we are desensitized from it because it happens so often in the sport. If there was like a crazy tennis mishap and yeah. Curios went head first into the the umpire's tower and needed to be carted off, it would be a massive story. And we'd be talking about it all the time. The players are in a essentially a car accident every Sunday. Yeah. And we're like, huh? Eh, uh are you probable or questionable? Because I'm trying to manage my flex spot, and yeah. I need to know. So I think that's the the next step that I I hope the Mar Hamlin scenario illuminates for us that we we treat these players in a way like like cattle. I I wanted to ask you before I let you go. Uh, I know you your Super Bowl pick is the Chiefs. In your mind, who do, who's the biggest? challenger to the chiefs wow that's a great question i mean i'd be remiss if i didn't say the team they're playing this week that has beat them three consecutive times and is just a bit of a match up nightmare from them in the sense of defensively steve spagnola defensive coordinator for the chiefs loves to blitz 
loves to bring more people than you can block, get the ball out of your hands quick, take his chances on the back end. We're, we're going to die a quick death. Either we're going to get you off the field or you're going to score, one or the other. But either way, Patrick Mahomes is not going to be sitting down freezing for long. Okay, that's cool. Well, Joe Burrow is like Joe Cool. Bring the blitz. I don't care. You really going to guard Jamar Chase and uh, T. Higgins? Uh, and Hayden Hurst and uh, Boyd one on one, yeah, cool. Uh, you're making my decisions easy for me. So on that side, it's not a great matchup. And on the flip side, uh, you know, defensively, the Bengals and Uemaruno have done so much in terms of like playing different games, giving odd looks, bringing people from different areas, not bringing people, and just having eight people sit in in zone and make you like drive the field and really put together a 10, 12 play drive without making a mistake or out being, without being antsy that I think is a bit of a, um, it's a bit of a, it's almost like a Rubik's cube for mm-hmm. uh, Mahomes and Andy Reid to like constantly try to figure out. So I, I think from a matchup standpoint, um, Cincinnati is a tough test. I think the Eagles, you know, probably have like the best, most balanced roster. But in a one game scenario, San Francisco 49ers have just the most dudes. Yeah. Like if we're just talking about like getting off the bus, you look at a team, who scares you? Yeah. Who do you not want to play? Um, I think it's them. So I didn't answer your question because I said all three teams. Uh, my 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 Super Bowl pick at the start of the playoffs was Chief Niner. So I'll I'll stick with it. Okay. Um but uh yeah I I would say philosophically the Bengals physically the 49ers. Okay. I, I, I like it and uh I mean I'm I don't have any uh horse in the race but uh, I'm definitely a Patrick Mahomes fan so that'd be uh cool to see them against the the Niners again in the the Super Bowl. Uh, before I let you go, anything you want to plug? Anything the listeners should stay tuned for on your show going deep? And uh, thanks again for coming on. And hopefully we can do this again. Well, after I said that, run uh, to your nearest bookie uh, and make sure you're following our SN Bets crew because they know much more than I. But run to your nearest bookie and bet everything you have on the Eagles because I kind of slept on them with my answer. So they're definitely going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> in terms of what we've got coming out, we're just days away from uh, the month of February. We'll have a lot of Black History Month content, uh, cool. sportsnet.ca slash uh, Black History Month or sportsnet.ca slash BHM. But if you go to our homepage, you'll see a bunch of stuff cycling there throughout the week. Feb 1 this year um, is on a Wednesday. So every Wednesday we'll drop new original content. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. One of my favorite pieces that's coming out is a four-part series, one each week. With myself, uh, Cabby Richards, Enoch Wamba, Great Cup champ and uh, most outstanding Canadian and MVP of the Great Cup, and Story Tinker, the trailblazing female hockey player, where we get together over a meal and just talk about different uh, issues in sport uh, mm-hmm. while eating, uh, you know, different food from historically uh, black regions of the world. Uh, so that'll be cool. Also in Feb one, I got an interview with uh, Masai Ujiri about um, you know everything he's done for the continent of Africa. Um, and, and going deep, yeah, you know, uh, 
11 Eastern on the Fan 590, but really, you know, it's done for the podcast audience. So like, favorite, share, subscribe. Uh, I've got some Black History Month themed pieces coming out in February. Um, recently, we had a great interview with, with Jason Priestley about his Harold Ballard doc offside. Uh, and we'll be previewing uh, the, the playoff game as we get uh, close to uh, the Super Bowl. We'll do some stuff on Super Bowl commercials as well, which will be fun. Um, and then as we get closer to um, trade deadline uh, in the NBA and NHL, we'll be breaking that down as well. Well, thank you so much, Donovan, for for taking the time and coming on. And uh, yeah, good, uh, good luck for uh, the rest of the sports here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.